Good morning again. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. The kids make their way out for Children's Church to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 22 through 35. Our last of the four Christmas songs here of Simeon and his proclamation in the temple. So if you're making your way there, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the rows, it's page 857, page 800. And 57. Just a couple items to mention here before we pray and jump into our passage. Starting not next Sunday, but the first Sunday in January, on January 7th, we're going to be starting the book of Colossians. Colossians is going to be our next sermon series. And for those of you who like to take notes um, and like to do it maybe in the, the passage of Scripture, uh, we have some things on the back uh, shelf back there. They're called uh, Scripture Journals. So on this side is the text of the Bible, it's the ESV, uh, which we'll preach from. And then on the other side of the page are lines. Uh, There's a fancy one that, for those of you who like to draw pictures, which is okay, uh, to help you reflect and to think, uh, uh, there's a just like a dot, uh, like graph paper, and then the other one is line. So if you're interested, we're going to be ordering some. You can sign up. They're $5.00. Donation, if you would, and you can put that in the offering box, but sign up and we'll get those ordered as we start Colossians. And then a couple other things concerning tonight. Uh, five o'clock is when our service starts. We're going to have some prelude music starting about 4.40 uh, by the Simpson family this evening. So if you want to come early and enjoy that, we invite you to do that. That'll start about 4.40. And then also uh, tonight, uh, the Church in Green, as you heard during uh, my pastoral prayer, Pastor Ben's brother passed away unexpectedly uh, out in New York. Uh, He had recently been diagnosed with cancer, and it uh, happened quickly. And so uh, he's not in town, and so he asked if they could invite their church to our Christmas Eve service. I said, of course. We gathered together for Good Friday, uh, and so it's kind of fun to invite them here. So if you see some folks from Green, welcome them this evening. I don't know how many will be here, but just want to make them feel welcome as they join us tonight uh, for our Christmas Eve service. So uh, those are a few other items for your attention this morning. If you found your way to Luke chapter 2, let's pray. Then I'll read our passage together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it expounds for us, the written word of God that is living and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it pierces to our very souls. And I pray this morning as we read your word and as we reflect on the truth of it, Lord, that we would be pointed to the living word, to Jesus Christ. Lord, in the beginning with the word, and the word was with you, and it was God. And Lord, as we read in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Lord, as we come to your word, may we see the living word, and may we rejoice in Jesus, the one who is the Savior of the world. We pray in his name. Amen. John, excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a 
a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is our fourth message here in this mini-series of the Songs of Christmas. We looked at Mary's song of her Magnificat, of her soul magnifying the Lord. We looked at Zechariah's prophecy, his, his benediction of blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. Last week, we looked at the angel's song, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. And now today, we have this last song, this last praise in Luke 2. From Simeon. Simeon's a man who was in the temple, and he had received this revelation that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And it comes to pass that as Mary and Joseph are faithful to the law of Moses and come to the temple, Simeon meets the Messiah. It's always interesting to see people's reaction when they first see a baby. Right, I remember when Ezra was born. I'm not generally one for crying, and though maybe I cry more than a normal guy, I remember being handed Ezra by the nurse and just crying. Maybe it was because it took him so long to be born. His labor was a long one. And it was like, finally, this kid shows up. Still now, Ezra, hurry up, let's go. I remember thinking, oh, it's amazing. Maybe as a grandparent, you've had that experience of holding a new grandson or a granddaughter, or maybe a great-grandson or a great-granddaughter, or even here uh, in our church family, holding a newborn. I, I, one of my, my most vivid memories here, among the three years that we've been here, uh, was Ellen handing Hugh to Mel and having him look him over for the first time, right? Seeing a new born baby. Oh, it's so cute. He's so cute. She's so cute. Oh, you, his eyes or his mom's. Where did he get all that hair, right? But then there are some newborn babies you hold and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is the baby, <laughs> right? One of our pastoral classes, we had an old professor and he would say, some babies are cute. Some babies will become cute. And he said, what do you say? He says, you hold that baby and you say, this is a wonderful gift from God, <laughs> right? The joy of seeing a newborn baby and holding them 
and rejoicing over them and, and looking at the tiny fingers and the toes. It's so fun, so exciting. Here, Simeon takes up the newborn Jesus. More than likely, he's probably about 40 days old. He's, he's a month or so, give or take. And here he is, he takes up this baby. And what does he do? He rejoices over him. Not because he's so cute and beautiful and he's a healthy baby boy, but because of who he is and who he's going to become. As Simeon takes up Jesus, he says something drastically different than, oh, look at his cute eyes or his beautiful toes or all that hair, or he looks just like mom or dad. He proclaims that this one is the Messiah. He proclaims that through this child will come salvation, and through this child comes suffering. Our big idea this morning as we look here in Luke chapter 2 is this is that Jesus brings salvation for all through His coming suffering. Through His coming suffering. As we look at a baby, we think of, oh, they have all this life ahead of them. What's going to become of them? What are they going to grow up to be? And already, Simeon is pro pronouncing who this baby is, but more than that, the difficulty that will accompany him, which is a stark contrast to what we would think. Simeon pronounces the salvation for Jews and Gentiles, which continues to expand God's plan of redemption for all the nations. But with this gift of redemption comes suffering. Here in Luke's gospel is this first hint of Jesus' suffering and the difficult life with which he will live. Also difficult for Mary, the revealing of the hearts of many in the nation of Israel. And he's also hinting to the fact that, as Mark says, as he records what Jesus says, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's look here at Luke 22 through verse 35. We're going to look, our outline starts really in verse 29, but we're going to give the background here, verses 22 through 28. Jesus is born, Luke 2, verses one through 20, the shepherds, the angels going to Bethlehem and finding Mary and the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 21, after eight days, they were faithful to the law of Moses as a, uh, as a Jew in Israel. They circumcised him. They named him Jesus. And now in verse 22, it's the time for them to come to the temple for the purification, not only for the baby, but for Mary according to the law of Moses, the purification after childbirth. And in the law of Moses, in Exodus 13 and Leviticus 12, the first male, and it was expanded to the first child, was dedicated to the Lord, in a sense, that it was to be in the service of the Lord. Now you could, in a sense, provide a sacrifice in place of that child, so the child would continue with the family. There's some interesting background there if you want to look into that in Exodus 13 and Leviticus 12. But in a sense, a sacrifice was offered to the Lord in the temple for the firstborn child. And it's interesting to note what Luke records that they brought. It says a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
Now, if you read Leviticus 12, it says actually a spotless lamb. But if you can't basically afford a spotless lamb, you can go with the more affordable option. We have a hint here of Mary and Joseph's financial situation. So they come and they offer the sacrifice. And as they enter, we are introduced to Simeon. We see his character in verse 25. He was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That idea of consolation, of consoling, this gift of grace, this this wrapping an arms about. He was waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26, we have this information that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, by God, that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the Anointed One. Think of that fact. Think if if God came to you and said, you are not going to die until this happens. That's some crazy information. <laughs> That's, that would change, I think, the way that you live. At a certain respect, you'd be like, I can do whatever I want, right? Not live however I want, but maybe be a little more reckless. If I'm not, if God's promise, I'm not going to die until this happens. Or... When you think of Simeon here, there are indications that he is an elderly man. And as you grow older and older, talking with folks, just talking with Merle this past week, he says he's just tired. I said, well, Merle, you're almost 97 years old. You have every right to be tired. <laughs> we don't know exactly how old Simeon is, but as he waited and waited and waited, longing to see the Messiah for that eventual rest, he is waiting and waiting. Verse 27, And he, that is Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to offer these sacrifices according to the custom of the law, he, that is Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, I would love to go back and watch, you know, the video of this. Did Simeon come up and say, hello, I'm Simeon. You are Mary, Joseph. Can I hold your baby? Or is this a, like, grandma, I haven't seen grandkids in a long time, like, bursting in like, where's he at? Pick him up, right? (laughs) You got to understand, they may not know Simeon. They probably don't. But Simeon picks up this child in the temple, and he knows through the power of the Spirit that this is the Messiah, the anointed one. And he blesses God, and what does he say? Verse 29, we see this, that as Jesus brings salvation for all through his coming suffering, that Simeon pronounces that this is the one who is going to bring salvation for all. Our first point, salvation for all. Verse 29, Simeon says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon already knows that this is the Messiah and he knows his death will come. He is departing in peace. This is interesting that this word peace is used again here as it was used in the angel's song, and it was used earlier in Mary and Zechariah's song. This idea of peace, letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon here clearly states that God has been faithful to his promises, to his word. God is always faithful to his promises, 
to his word, to the prophecies that he has made. We see them come to fruition here in the birth of Jesus in so many different ways. And now again, we are reminded that the Lord is faithful to his word. And Simeon can now depart in peace because he has what? Verse 30, seen your salvation. Growing up in the Lutheran church and the tradition of that, I always found it interesting that after I was saved and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and went back to visit my parents and to attend church with them, part of their liturgy, we sung Scripture often. But actually, verse 29 is what they sang at the end of the service, which is actually kind of humorous, right? Lord, (laughs) now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Maybe that's what you pray after I'm done preaching. Lord, now we can depart, right? But it's this idea of his job is done. Why? Because he has seen salvation. Verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. And what is this salvation? This salvation is not a sacrifice that's being offered. This salvation is not an action or a deed. What is this salvation? Maybe a better question is, who is this salvation? It's Jesus. The salvation of God comes to us not through activity or action or by any other means, but through God himself. Jesus is our salvation. It is a person. My eyes have seen your salvation. And what is this salvation? It is a baby named Jesus. And he says, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. We already see here how God has been preparing this salvation. He's been setting the stage in the presence of all peoples, not just the nation. Now, if you remember... The Messiah was to be a very Jewish individual. His aim, his goal was to deliver the nation. But here, Simeon is expanding this. And he says, this salvation that has come to Israel is for more than just Israel. This has been prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's for everyone. Verse 32, this salvation who is Jesus, is a light for revelation or understanding or knowledge to the Gentiles. The Gentiles need light. Why? Because they are in darkness. In their sinful state, darkness in regards to who God is, in the sense that God's chosen nation is Israel, and he has revealed himself to the nation through the law of Moses, through the prophets, through the priesthood, through the activity of God's faithfulness to the nation. But the Gentile nations, those on the outside, in a sense, they are in darkness. But now, God has shown his light of revelation to these pagan, unbelieving nations. And what is the vehicle for this light? It is through Jesus. Jesus is the light of just Israel. No. He is the light of the 
world. And as John records for us in his gospel, in John 1, as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus came to his own, but what happened? His own did not receive him. But to them who did receive them, him, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Jesus came to the nation, but as the nation rejected him, this mystery unfolded and broadened, and that any and all from whatever nation who could believe or who would believe in Jesus would become children of God. He's a light to the pagan Gentile nations, salvation for any and all. God's plan of redemption is for far more than just Israel. It is for all of creation. It goes back to Genesis 3. As Adam and Eve sinned, they partake of the fruits. The serpent tempted them. The prophecy right there, that as the serpent would go on, he would seek to bruise the heel of the descendants of Eve, this seed, this child, while this child, the seed of Eve, this descendant, this, this coming one would bruise his head. This is before there is Gentile and Jew. This is at the very beginning when this one would come to crush the head of the serpent. We see here how God's plan of redemption has always been for more than just Israel, but for all of creation, all humanity. Salvation is for all. But there is this special glory for Israel. It's not that God throws away Israel. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, verse 32. But he's also a special glory to your people Israel. He is the glory. He is, the, in a sense, the, the pinnacle, the perfect Israelite. Jesus is the perfect Jew. He keeps the law perfectly. He declares that this is who Jesus is. He is one who is the Messiah of Israel, but as he comes to the nation, he is for every nation. What Simeon does in this section is declare that salvation has come for all people. And as Simeon declares the salvation, we need to realize that this salvation is far more than just political or national deliverance for Israel. But it's a deliverance from sin that all people need. Regardless of ethnicity, financial position, occupation, educational background, every single person, young or old, male or female, rich or poor, smart or simple, has the same basic problem. And that is sin. And Jesus comes for every person who has that problem to make a way of salvation. He is a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Simeon here declares who Jesus is. And that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior has been given. And there's only one. And it's this baby Jesus. Salvation for all. What a wonderful, wonderful proclamation, right? Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Wow, this prophecy. I think of Mary and Joseph. They've heard a lot about this baby already, right? Through the announcement of his birth, through the angels and the shepherds coming and Zechariah and Elizabeth and their baby John and everything that happens 
around the birth of Jesus that they still continue to marvel. <laughs> and here is Simeon who gives this wonderful declaration of who Jesus is and what he's going to do, and they marvel. But then instantly, they're brought back to reality. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sign that is opposed, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Then there's verse 35, the beginning, which inserts this, this parenthetical statement in regard to Mary, that even her own soul will be pierced through with the sword. You go from the high of Jesus being the Savior of all to being the fact that there's going to be opposition and suffering and division that comes through this baby. What a contrast. We like the salvation for all part. But this idea of suffering, this is something new added into the mix. Simeon says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Salvation for all, suffering for many. Mary and Joseph marvel at what they hear. And Simeon says this, and what does it mean? It means that this salvation that comes in the person of Jesus will be accompanied with suffering and division. First, for Israel. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Obviously, the illustration is pretty simple, right? Rising, going up, blessing, uh, God's grace and mercy, falling, a bad thing. God's judgment and curse. There's going to be a division. Not everyone's going to rise, but not everyone's going to fall. Jesus is going to be the dividing line through the rising and falling. And perhaps those who are high and mighty and powerful, they're the ones who are going to be brought low. And those who are lowly and overlooked and downcast are the ones who are going to be brought high. For this is the way of the gospel. Those who are proud and arrogant and set themselves against God are brought low, but those who are low and humble and contrite of spirit before God are raised up. There's going to be suffering and opposition here. Look at this next phrase. And for a sign that is opposed. He's going to be a sign. He's going to deliver this message that's going to be opposed. There's going to be opposition. Not everyone's going to like what Jesus is going to say. I think it's in our nature, as humans, we want to be liked by other humans. And that can go to a sinful extent when we have a wrong fear of man. But uh, there's also an appropriate, like, you want to be a pleasant person. People want to be around. But here, this message, this sign is going to be opposed by many. The message that Jesus brings is going to be opposed. Not everyone's going to welcome it. And actually, the gospel is a very offensive thing. The gospel should cause people to have their feathers ruffled. Because the gospel tells you that as Jesus has come as the Savior, it tells you that you need a Savior. That you are a sinner. That you are not a good person. Our default setting as humans is bad and sinful. Now, through God's common grace... 
and through the ability to survive, there are demonstrations of kindness and goodness, yes. But at our very core, our identity is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Whether you acknowledge God or not, whether you think you are a sinner or not, that truth does not depend upon what you think. But here, this sign that Jesus brings, this message that he's going to preach is going to be opposed because people are not going to like the fact that we need to humble ourselves before God and repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Because this sign is going to reveal the thoughts from many hearts the end of verse 35. As Jesus comes and as Jesus ministers, as Jesus is the Savior, he's going to reveal the hearts of the nation. Those who are ready for him and those who are not. Jesus, again and again in the Gospels, through his interaction with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the common everyday people, reveal the hearts of the nation. The Gospel reveals our own hearts, what we put our value in, what we put our, our identity in. There are those who say, well, I can't trust in Jesus because of this, this, or this. And there's, there's something that is revealed about our own hearts. The gospel reveals what we value. Our response to Christ reveals our hearts. And Jesus will do this. Then we have this aside here in verse 35. As Simeon speaks to Mary, he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Now, not a literal sword. This is imagery used here. The idea of being cut to the heart, of having something painful happen to you, right? We've used that phrase. It's like a knife to the heart, something that's painful and hard to bear, that's excruciating, emotionally draining. Think of Mary. Think of Jesus' last hours on the cross. Was Mary there? Yes. Here is this child that Mary bore for nine months and delivered, who she nurtured and raised, who grew, but who is now hanging on a tree. Like any mother's love for their child, what must be going through Mary's heart? That she herself will suffer as a mother. For her own son will be pierced and hung on a tree. Being the mother of Jesus, though it is a blessed position, is accompanied with suffering. For Jesus himself is a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. There's suffering for Israel. For opposition will rise and hearts will be revealed. There is suffering for Mary. For Mary herself will witness Jesus on the cross, we know. But as we take a step back and as we expand this idea of suffering, of what Jesus has come for, the greatest example of suffering is, of course, what Jesus will go through on our behalf. As we think of suffering, of the nation, of those who fear the Lord and of Mary, all that suffering falls short of what Jesus will endure. This baby that Simeon is holding in his arms is the one who will be hanging on a cross. This baby that Simeon is holding in his arms is the one who will be spit at and mocked. This child this who's 
a month and a half old that Simeon is holding is the same child that will grow and will have a crown of thorns shoved into his skull, who will be forced to carry a cross through these same streets that he's in now, who will be crucified and whipped, who will in mocking derision have a sign put above his cross that says, here is the king of the Jews. There is no manger without the cross and no cross without the manger. We cannot look on the salvation that has come at Christmas time without looking to the cross that secures our salvation at Easter. Birth and death, joy and sadness, bliss and suffering, salvation and judgment. But through all of these things that are paradoxically combined, we see the glory of God revealed. For who can take something as excruciating as death and crucifixion and bring life from it but God? For this is the glory of God. This is his salvation revealed to us that God secures salvation for you and for I, for you and your neighbor, for you and everyone in the world. He has secured salvation through judgment. And that judgment was poured out on his own son. This is the glory of God. His salvation secured for us through his judgment poured out on his own son. Born that man no more may die. What a wonderful truth that that is. This glorious salvation has arrived. It's not in a thing. It's not in an activity. It's not in a worship service at the temple. But it's a person. It's Jesus. This one who is the Savior of all. But the Savior through suffering. This glorious salvation has arrived. But with it comes suffering. But through this suffering comes May we give thanks this Christmas season for the Savior who has come. But may we not give thanks and think that all of our problems are gone. But rather think of the suffering that He endured for you and I. And may we, as He calls us to take up His cross, deny ourselves and follow Him, knowing that the suffering that we endure in His name's sake is worth it. For through Him is eternal Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Christ this Christmas season. Thank you of everything that comes with it. We think of the, the Christ child held in the arms of Simeon, the wonderful proclamation of him as our Savior, but yet the suffering that awaits. May we realize that through this suffering comes life, life eternal. And as we seek to live for Christ through faith in him alone, May we take whatever suffering may come our way, knowing that it's not the end, but rather just the pattern that Christ set for us. And that one day when he returns, not as a baby, but as a conquering king, every tear will be wiped away. And every suffering will be gone. There will be joy and peace everlasting.
Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name.